Thanks, Steve. Okay, if you open the uh, Bibles to um, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to continue there with our series, Living the Changed Life. And um, we're going to be just reading these few verses this morning. Just follow with me. We're going to pick up at verse 10 of Colossians chapter 3. And we'll read through to verse 17. Colossians 3 and verse 10. I'll start at verse 9 just for a little bit of context. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, sorry, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Trust God will add a blessing to His word. Our message today is called the spiritual wardrobe, or the spiritual wardrobe requirements. It's sort of like a second part of of uh, following on from what we had last week. And as we're thinking about last week, for those of you who are here, you will remember that we introduced this section, which runs right through to 17, that we've read this morning, by suggesting it was a little bit like a get fit and lose weight program. And um, I think we all had to agree that in order to lose weight, I've proved this as I um, reminded you last week, working out in the gym is only half the recipe. The other half, eliminating destructive eating habits, was also vitally necessary for success. And so this is exactly the same for our spiritual fitness in order to live changed lives as God's born-again or made-alive children. We need to eliminate the destruction or the destructive, sinful tendencies and habits of the flesh. And at the same time, at the same time, we don't just stop there, we need to develop godly disciplines that are in sync with the indwelling Spirit of God. Okay? So the two go together. So last week we looked at the negative, what we must eliminate from verses 5 to 9, and this week we're going to look at the positive, what needs developing. But as we take our cue from the scriptures in illustrating this, we see that Paul here uses a word picture. 
probably not seen so clearly in our English translation, but we see it in the Greek word, and I'll just flesh that out a little bit. So we don't see so much what I brought into it last week, the gym and healthy eating habits, but what we see this week is we see a wheelie bin and a wardrobe, okay? A wheelie bin and a wardrobe. And um, the command given here is all about how believers must dress themselves with Christ-like virtues. What for? So that we will show Him off. Show our Lord Jesus off in our everyday world. That's what we're called to do. In verse 8, He uses that word, put them all aside. Okay? And we touched on this last week. He says in verse 8, put them all aside. Now that is the same word that's used for stripping off old and dirty clothing and discarding them. <coughs> Throwing them in the wheelie bin. They're no good. I had a little bit of experience with that yesterday. I got up and lo and behold, my sort of what I would call work clothes, my wife had only had them on one day morning before, and she'd taken them and put them in the wash. So out came a new set of all the clothes, because I just had to go out and prune the roses and mow the lawns and etc. And you know, yesterday morning was quite humid, and after I'd finished by about 10 o'clock, I came in and everything was saturated, you know, probably not unfit, and I was saturated with a load of sweat. So, off with the cold, off with the clothes, they were not into the wheelie bin, but into the washing machine, and um, because I had to appointment, uh, a very important appointment as a bike ride that I was coming up with a friend of mine. So on a new set of clothes, but you know, and we went on this great bike ride and with a leather jacket on, etc. You get a bit clammy, and when I got home, oh wow, here it is all happening again. Off the shirt and in the wheelie bit the washing machine. And so this put them all aside has an idea of discarding dirty clothing. Okay? So there's the word picture, and we're going to take that cue this morning. Um, and so, but from here on, after verse 8, from here on, we see that Paul picks up another word following along from this picture that he uses, where he says we must put on. We see it in verse 10, verse 12, and verse 14. In other words, this section is all about putting on, developing a new wardrobe of spiritual clothes. That's the word picture Paul uses here. He picks it up and uses it. So in order to have changed lives that manifest Christ, we must be wearing the right kind of spiritual clothes. <coughs> I was noticed this last week, like many of you, watching the Sochi Olympics. And um, see some of the clothes they all wear. Particularly the downhill racers uh, and, and the ski jumpers and the ice skaters. It's super tight, it clings to their body, you know. And, um, and, and that, they have to do that because it enhances their speed and endurance and, and mobility, etc. Um, and so they, they wear the same, they wear the right kind of clothes for what they're called to do. And, and likewise, Christians also, they must dress, we must dress ourselves outwardly, you got this? We must dress ourselves outwardly with Christ-like conduct in order to show off Jesus Christ who dwells within, amen? That's what we must do. Otherwise, we're only living as sham. We call ourselves a Christian, and if we don't display the graces of Christ on the outside, we're not called to do that. That's just 
an oxymoron. And so let's move on here. So the, the rags of sinful life that we once lived in and we once walked in and we once enjoyed, they need to be discarded, they need to be trashed. Radical action must be taken, as we talked about last week. Um, but now we must develop a new wardrobe by putting on these spiritual graces that adorn, I love that word, that's a biblical word too, adorn the doctrines of Christ. Now you all know what adorning is, right? You put those clothes on and, um, and you adorn. The ladies get in, they put a bit of makeup on, they adorn themselves, make themselves look more beautiful. And um, us men don't do that, do we? Because we don't need you, we're beautiful already. But, anyway. and, um, but the idea of adornance, and I can't call the text, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, adorning the doctrine of Christ, is that as Christians, we display the virtues of Christ, so we adorn the doctrine of Christ. Not that Christ has to be made more beautiful, but, hey, we're the only Jesus Christ people see in this world. Right? We're the only, that, that's it. And so they need to see the Lord in us. And so what we're going to do this morning is um, we're going to have a look at this section. And it's divided up into three areas. And um, the first one is our new position. Uh, the second one will be our new performance. And the next one will be our new priorities. Okay, our new position. This begins in the second part of verse, of verse, uh, of, of verse 9. And... Um, and it acts like a, a kind of a bridge, okay? A, a kind of a, a bridge between two major sets of instructions. We've had the first set of instructions, now we're going to the second set of instructions. And this section here adds like a, like a little bit of a bridge, like a link bridge. And um, it's, it's between the behaviour we must put off, discard, put to death in our lives, and also what behaviour we are to put on, like the set of clothes that we've been talking about. And so, this bridge that Paul uses here is also for a very special reason. He uses it to remind believers, to remind us here this morning, of our spiritual roots. <coughs> People in this day and age, it seems to be a craze that we've got to go back and find our roots. You know, there's programs on TV, there's genealogy, things being advertised. Everyone wants to find their roots. If they go back to the country of origin or whatever. It seems to be a little thing these days. And, um, and so you find your country of origin and then you go to the tattoo parlor and get a tattoo on you. That's what happens, you see. You don't do that, but there you are. Um, and so this is what Paul, he reminds us of our spiritual roots. He, he kind of pulls the reader up. He pulls the reader up as if to say, oh, by the way, before I introduce you to the new clothes in your spiritual wardrobe, I want you to be very clear in your minds why you are, each of you, obligated to wear these Christ-like virtues. Okay? <coughs> and so he says, since you laid aside the old self. Let's stop right there. Since you laid aside the old self. This is an accomplished fact, right? It's an accomplished fact. It's already done. You see, at your conversion, you discarded your old identity, the old self is done and gone and been done away with. It's crucified with Christ. Your old identity is gone. And you have moved from your sinful, selfish ways to a new and living way in Jesus Christ. That's your conversion. That's what it's all about. You see, folks, this has taken place. God in grace has generated in us 
generated in us uh, what I call a faith and repentance response to his moving in us. When we felt convicted, when we were uncomfortable, however he worked in us, he moved in us a faith and repentance response toward God's grace and love. And we trusted in Jesus Christ. We have that in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, by the way. It's not my idea. And uh, so what you have done is you have shifted from the environment of sin and darkness. You have moved from there willingly, by the way. You weren't so like some sort of robot that went like this. You moved willingly from that dark place, that lost place. Okay? God did not invade your own volition and, um, and move you that way. You had a responsibility. You moved there from there willingly like someone who gladly strips off all their dirty clothing. Like I gladly did it the other day. The physical clothing. Okay? And um, so he hasn't violated your will as it were. You gladly did that under the conviction of the Spirit of God. Wow, I want to be clean. Okay? Oh, and the only way I can do this is trust in the Lord Jesus and repent of my sin and turn around. And so you discarded that old way of life. The Holy Spirit infused, can I say, new life, new desires, a new will, a new direction, so that you, as a believer, are a brand new person. Hence, you have the need and you will have the desire to manifest this new life. The old self is dead and gone. Therefore, we have in Corinthians, chapter 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But then the question arises in our minds. If I'm a Christian, I've trusted in Christ, and I know that I belong to the Lord, then, and if that old way is dead and gone, why do I still have to battle with sin and its temptations? And we all know this, right? I'll be the first on the list. Why do we have to battle with sin and its temptations and, and, and desires that we, we don't we'd be too ashamed to express? Why is that? My dear people, the problem lies in the fact that our God-given new self still lives in these old sin-affected bodies. The believer is both a new man in Christ and an old man in the flesh. He is both indwelt by the Spirit of God and he is daily harassed. He is daily harassed by the sinful desires of the flesh. We all experience this. No Christian is sinless. That's why the Apostle John wrote in his epistle in 1 John 1. Eight or nine is it? If we say, or eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's writing that to believers. But we should be very clear that there is no sin or sinfulness in that inner new person that we have and that we are, because that is of who? It's of God. It's of the Holy Spirit. Right? But the body, our fleshly humanness. Just as it experiences decay and the battle of the bulge and the arthritis and the grey hair or the no hair 
Just as experiences decay and hassles and problems and sicknesses and diseases. Well, just as that happens, these unredeemed bodies, these the flesh that's still handed out the wrong desires, wrong thinking, and wrong behavior, it still happens. And so along with the great apostle, he also experienced this. He also he knew this great battle that we have. And uh, the battle that where sin wants to have its way. And, and so we, we, we sometimes we groan, don't we? We groan within ourselves, right? The apostle, what did he say? Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of sin? Or the body of death. Romans 7, 24. And a little bit further on. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons of the redemption of our body. That's what we wait for. But as we think about that, all is not gloom, hopelessness, and doom. No, it's not. You see, because as God begun a work of grace in us, He doesn't love us and leave us like some of us do. Shameless. God generated His work of grace in us, but He continues His work of grace in us. And sometimes we forget this. We really do. Because what's happening is there's a renewal going on. Okay, there is. Not really. There's a renewal going on. We see this in verses 10 and 11. And this renewal has two kind of facets. The first one is it's a renewal according to knowledge. And secondly, it's a renewal in which there is no distinction. Let's have a look at the first one. You see, God's plan, as I said before, was not to save us and leave us. His purpose in leaving us here is so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, God is in the business of renewing and maturing us. He is. And we all should understand that being made alive in Christ, that we saw back in chapter 2, being made alive in Christ, brings the believer new life, but not instant maturity in Christ. You got that? It brings us new life, but not instant maturity. Just like a newborn baby. Just like a newborn baby is a very complete person. It's amazing. You see the newborn baby and you see the parents and the grandparents and whoever comes to visit looking at the fingers. Oh, look at those cute little fingernails. And they look at every little detail of the body. Wow, one complete person that we can gaze upon. And that little person, that complete person, has heaps of room for physical growth, right? And man, don't they grow. I see Danny nodding back there. Her one-year-old daughter. And, um, and that's the same with the Christian. When we first trust in Christ, we are made half complete. No, absolutely complete. We are a completely new Christian, new person in Christ. As a matter of fact, the moment you become a Christian, trust in Jesus Christ, you can be no nearer to God than even if you spend the next 40 years being a faithful servant of God. So when we become a believer, we are a complete person. But now, from then on, we have also heaps of capacity for spiritual growth. You got that? And so this spiritual growth, this renewal, only takes place, we see, through a growing knowledge of Him. 
through a growing knowledge of Him. In other words, there will be no ongoing renewal growth in Christ without intakes of the true knowledge of God. Just like you feed a baby milk. You don't, that baby won't grow unless it has milk. Paul said this in Ephesians. He says, be renewed. Okay? It's not talking about a past. It's speaking about a tense that is ongoing. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ephesians 4, 22. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 12, 2, we've been looking at recently. He says, be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind. And guess where the source of this knowledge is found? You've already guessed it. There's only one place. The Holy Scriptures. The Bible. And by the way, not through some personal mystical experience or some vision of the night that you may have or some private message from God that you might claim to have heard. No. Paul wrote to Timothy. This is what he wrote. All Scripture, not some, all Scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed, right? Is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God Man is men, plural, men and women. That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. That's what the scripture does. This is why we endeavor to be here a Bible-centered church that endeavors to exposit the text, the scriptures, so that we are all fed from the word of God. So that his thoughts become our thoughts, if we want, right? And we're renewed and can live changed lives. Because it's through His Word that God has chosen to renew and transform His people. We must get that. And might I say, you don't hear that, sad to say, in a lot of even evangelical churches today. The Word of God has been thrown out in many cases, to a large degree, or to put it on the second rate shelf. So that is God's plan for us. And, and, and and can I warn you, all of us, including myself here, I've had to take this to heart, all this has been really challenging for me. It will only be to our spiritual peril if we ever substitute the all-sufficient, life-changing Word of God with any other method. No matter how attractive, how edgy, or entertaining that way might be, it'll be to our spiritual peril. Another aspect of our new life, which we must grow to love, is that God has no distinctions. No distinction when it comes to the people He calls to salvation. And because of that, we must show no partiality either. No matter who we are, ethnically, vocationally, or what we were before we got saved, now Christ dwells in us and so therefore, all believers are equal. We're brothers and sisters of the Lord. I love this brother. I really, really do. I look around and I see first Australians, second Australians, El Salvadorians, Filipinos, Indians, Kiwis, <laughs> and a few other mixtures. What an awesome bond to be one in Christ, right? The Christ sees no partiality. And where that thought of God, can we say, becomes our thought, where we show no partiality. You know, the world 
at large really wants what we have. Do you realize that? It really wants what we have. And spends billions trying to get there, but it never will. Even with all its legal clout it has of human rights laws, anti-discrimination laws, freedom of speech laws, discrimination and racial hatred, it will continue, it will remain deep-seated and causing chaos. Because that's just a hard, simple man. My dear people, let us be those who value one another for why we are in Christ. There is no place for any kind of people barriers in the church. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, has smashed those barriers down, and in Christ the church is what? Ephesians 2.15 tells us, is one new man. As a footnote here, as a footnote on this, I really believe that we miss out hugely when we see, I'm just talking about here in the church of Australia or Adelaide, I really feel that we miss out hugely when we see different ethnic groups start up their own churches to facilitate purely their own ways and their own styles. I really feel that we miss out. That's why I value the mixture of people. You know, if language is not the issue, I can understand that if language is... Okay, well, if you didn't understand English here, you'd be just looking at it and think I was speaking in tongues, which we don't do here, by the way, um, <laughs> in that sense of the word. Um, and so if language is not the issue, surely we can be one people growing in Christ together and worshiping together, right? Even if we eat different food and do different things in different ways. That's a, that's a test for us. That's a... You know, that pushes our comfort zone. You know, our comfort zones need to be pushed. Honestly, they do. I think of heaven, you know. We're not going to have the Filipino church over here, the Vietnamese church over here, the Indian church over here, uh, and the Australian church up here. No, no, no. We're all going to be together. So I'll say, let's just get, let's have a foretaste of what's going to happen in the future. So there should be no distinction, but God sees us as one. So how are we going to respond to all this? You know, all this sounds like an impossible task in our, our cultural climate, can we say. How does God want us to make room for our renewal individually and in His church and for there to be no partiality? How are we going to respond? Well, that brings us to our second point. We see that we have a new wardrobe in verses 12 to 14. You see, the level of change in our submission to the person of Christ, it will be determined, it will be determined by our appreciation and understanding of who we are in Christ. So the level of appreciation and understanding of who we are in Christ will determine how we respond to all this. The new self that God has imparted to us, it will really prove itself, folks. Honestly, it will. If we are genuinely and truly in the Lord, true believers, it will work. It'll be like yeast, you know, yeast you put in, the, uh, in, in, in bread, it, it starts working and emanates right throughout the whole loaf and actually causes huge changes. That's what like being born again is and being saved and being made new in Christ. It will prove itself. It works. It proves itself by being submissive to the true knowledge of God. Having a true knowledge of God that will govern our conduct and our lifestyle in this world, it really will. 
And if you find yourself that, hey, well, when I just look at myself and evaluate myself, I'm no really different from the person down the street who's unsaved. I would say if that's the case, you want to really seriously consider whether you do belong to the Lord or not. And after you've considered that, get down on your knees and repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved here this morning. It can be a brand new beginning. It's no great difficult task. The Lord just asks you to submit to His Word and believe and trust in His Word what He said about His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul, what does Paul do here? He reminds the Colossians what they must wear. He says, this is what you must wear because why? In verse 12, you've been chosen of God. That's what he starts first. Because you've been chosen of God. Because you've been set apart by God. Because you are the object of God's special love. That's what he says in verse 12. You see, God longs that the Colossian believers, and us here this morning, and all those who belong to Him, respond to His bountiful grace in our lives. He really longs for that. That's what He wants. And He commands it. What this means is that every believer in Jesus Christ, though being equal in status and spiritual position, we are also uniquely special to Him. Sometimes we don't think about that too much. We are uniquely special to Him. He doesn't just love us all together and say, oh yeah, church, whatever, how many people? No, no, no. He knows each of us. We're beloved of Him. We are chosen of Him individually. He knows the very number of our hairs on our head. Some of us won't be that hard because we haven't got really many, but there you are. He knows all about us. And um, because of that, in the special sense, what he's done is he focuses a special love upon us. Individually. Just think of that. Out of all humanity's billions, out of all humanity's billions, from woe to go, we can say, okay? Out of all humanity's billions, the awesome, holy, mighty God focuses a special love and attention on little old you and little old me. And he chooses us and calls us for the gospel. But he doesn't finish the earth yet. He is then renewing us right now. And I just find that awesome truth that I could be so special to God because I don't deserve it. Absolutely not. It's all of His grace. What a grace is God for that's amazing grace. That truth, you know, when we think about that, this should crush any prideful thought and bring us to our knees in humility and thanks and worship. Is that your response? Is that your response? Is that my response? Because if it is, it won't be hidden. It won't be like a light under a bushel, as it were. It'll be displayed. But how? How will it be displayed? Well, Paul, in this section, commands us to go public with our response. He does. He really does. We're not talking about baptism here. Baptism is essential, absolutely. If you're saved, you're commanded to be baptized, to make a public declaration that you belong to the Lord. It's like putting the flag up and saying, Hey, everyone, just in case you didn't know, I belong to the Lord. I'm a new person in Christ. And to prove it and to show it, I'm going to go down into the waters of baptism and I come up again as Christ was buried and rose again. I'm identifying myself with him. That's the first step. 
And maybe that's something that someone here needs to think about in this church. But then he tells us also to make a mark. A lot of people like to make a mark in this world, right? That's the, that's the thing to do out there in the contemporary world. I want to make a mark before I go to the great better place, whatever they might call it. I want to make a mark in this world. I want to make a difference, whatever. If it's making lots of money or doing some great humanitarian aid, they want to make a mark. Well, Paul says, I want you to make a mark, and I want you to fly your flag wherever you are. Paul says, live out your new life. After all, how dare we hide it, right? How dare we hide it? Live it out obediently. Show off your new life. Declare it. Put on. Put it on. Put it on. Put it on, he says. Put on these graces like, like a new set of clothes. To replace those old rags of sin and stuff. You must do that. And first of all, he says, put on a heart of compassion. Okay, put on a heart of compassion. Now, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on each of these things because they're self-explanatory. But simply putting on a heart of compassion means don't be indifferent to the heartache and difficulties of others. Be involved in ministry to others in need. Don't just walk away from them or say, oh, let someone else do that, or let the pastor do that, the elders do that, or whatever. And it may not even be in the church. Show compassion to those who are outside. But for the grace of God, you could still be outside. I could still be outside as well. And then he says, put on the garment of kindness. In other words, be as concerned about others as you are yourself. That's what that word kindness there means. How kind of you, Christ? We're selfish creatures, aren't we? Now, this is one that I've oh, I struggled for. And, but I, I, I need to, and we all need to. And then it's put on the garment of humility. That's putting on the spurs self-last. Same kind of deal as kindness. They have to marry with one another. And then it's put on the garment of gentleness. That's a willingness to bear the burden and suffer wrongdoing instead of getting your own back. We love getting our own back. That's one we, we need to wear more than we do, I believe. Whether it's in the workplace, whether we're getting a rough deal or whatever. Well, well that, we don't deserve this. So I'm going to take action. I'm going to put my foot down because I have got my rights. Believe it or not, folks, as a Christian, you don't have any rights at all in this world. That may be hard to take, but that's true. The only right we have is Christ. So when you get a rough deal, just pull back a bit and say, okay, I'm an ambassador for Christ. What would he have done in this situation? Because I've got to wear the clothes he's given me. So wear gentleness. Also, wear patience. Put on the garment of patience. In other words, be slow to anger. And do, this, do not be known as a person who has a short fuse. I came to realize last week that some of my, or some of our words and slang and, and um, metaphors that we use may not be known as well by some who come from other countries. Short fuse means a person who is very angry very quickly. In other words, he erupts like a volcano. When something doesn't go his way, he usually goes into a whatever kind of an angry rage. Don't be known as that. 
in the workplace, at home. You're, you're to be enduring of others. That's what it means. Another expression is don't, don't fly off the handle. Then you're to put on the garment of bearing one another. This, this, this has the idea of, of hanging in there despite the difficulty, the complaints, and refrain from retaliating even when you are put down and treated badly. It's a little bit similar to gentleness. Bear the burden of people that God has placed you upon. Then we see, put on the garment of forgiving one another. Why? Why should we do that? Why should we forgive other people? This is why. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, the text tells us. That's a good reason for forgiving people, right? And then finally, Paul finishes the wardrobe. And he says this, above all else, above everything else, wrapped around, this is what this word here means, wrapped around like a sash. You know what those sashes? That holds everything together. You put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. You see that in verse 14. See, folks, love is the most important of all primary <coughs> virtues. Unity in the local church is maintained by love for one another. You all know this, but how we need to be reminded of it. Christ-like love is the, is the glue. Okay, the glue that holds us all together. In fact, you can have you can have all the kindness, all the humility, all the gentleness, all the patience, all the bearing one another. You can be super, super forgiving uh, that you can all muster. But if it is not encompassed, wrapped around in love, with love for one another, we will fall apart. All of these new clothes that we're to put on must be motivated from a heart of true Christ-like love. And remember, Christ's love toward you and myself was not in word only. His love was clearly displayed for us by His action. By His coming into the world, His humility, and stepping down and taking upon human form, and then finally going to the cross, giving up his life for me. That's where his love is displayed. And so when it comes for you to love one another as Christ commands us, don't let it be a word only. When you see the opportunity, love will bring. So to live changed lives, we must put on these virtues. You know, but we fail them, don't we? Okay, well, I'll put on love. I'll, I'll put on kindness. Um, but then it slips out the door again. Right? So what this whole text means is that when we fail, we get back up and we put them on again and again and again and again. Repenting and confessing our sin before our Lord Jesus as we commanded to do is 1 John 1 9. And finally, our new perspective or our new priorities. We see this in verses 15 and 17. To live a changed life of God has given to us, we must understand that we have a new position in Christ. We, uh, we have put on a new wardrobe of virtues. 
but we also must be driven by new priorities. Okay, new priorities. And when we think about priorities, we must think of that guiding overall principle that directs our lives. And we all have it. We all have it. If you want to nut it down. It's, you can have another word like a worldview. Okay? Everyone has a worldview. The person out the street has a worldview. Each of us here has a worldview. But I trust that our worldview is governed by the knowledge of God and the scriptures. And so uh, it, this priority is what that gives us our, our life meaning and purpose. And, and most of all, it gives us God's approval. I love living under God's approval. I hate to be outside of it. And so Paul here reminds believers that they are to be guided and directed from their innermost being. Firstly, by the peace of Christ. And secondly, by the word of Christ. And thirdly, by the name of Christ. We have this in these last couple of verses. These three, I call them internal wells. Always deliver the right motive and refreshment that we need to live change lives for Jesus Christ. The first one is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay? In other words, in all that providentially comes across your path or my path, in all the good and the bad, whether your house was flooded in the rain or whether it wasn't, never forget that once we were at enmity with God and condemned and only deserving His furious wrath. We must always remember that. That's where we once were. But, praise God for the buts. Now we enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5. As believers, we are called to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In other words, let it be an overriding truth that quietens your fears, that stills the temporary turmoils in your life, and be thankful. I wonder if that's how peace of Christ rules. be an increasing directive in your life today. Secondly, we can ask, am I allowing the word of Christ to dwell in me richly? <coughs> yeah, the word dwell richly, what that means is that the scriptures are to be at home and ease in your life. Okay? In other words, is God's word being received with a longing and a welcoming heart, like you would some special loved guest who graciously frequents your home. That's the idea behind this. Richly dwells, it dwells. You know, you go to some homes. I think I might have used this illustration before. You go to some homes, and the moment you walk in the door, or even perhaps prior getting there, you are on edge. You know the real? You don't feel quite at ease. You're a little bit uncomfortable because, well, there's a number of factors. But with others, you love to be there. It's so engaging, there's unity, there's acceptance all around, and you're at ease in their home. You feel that home yourself. You kick your shoes off, you lounge back. That's what believers are, to be the Word of God. 
We are to let the Word of God be at home in our lives. For that to happen, we must be those who, who, who love to hear it preached. We must be those who, who, who love to read it ourselves individually and to meditate upon it and submit to it. Does the Word of God dwell richly within us? In you, in me? Is God's Word at ease and home in your life? And so this is a new and essential priority for every believer. Because it's the indwelling Word of God that changes us for His glory, right? And finally, Paul wraps up the new priority list where he calls believers to take stock of, of, a, of this fundamental priority for the Christian life. He says, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, sometimes we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and, and, and say that by some expression that we would put on the bottom of a, a letter that you used to write many years ago, yours faithfully, yours sincerely, or whatever, and uh, we'll just say, oh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, in actual fact, to speak and to act in someone's name, what that means is we are representing that person behind that name, and also we have been given the right and the power to do so. You got that? This means simply for us that we are to act consistently with our Saviour and to be obedient to His commands. That's what it means. In other words, authentic representatives of Jesus Christ will be those who will regularly be asking themselves. They'll be asking themselves about everything that they do. They'll be checking up on what they do. They'll be evaluating their own lives. They'll be asking questions like, uh, should I be doing this? Or is this this, is this, this uh, decision that I'm about to make uh, going to be in sync with what the Lord would want me to do? Is my attitude right towards this person or those people as a representative of Jesus Christ? Can I freely stamp the name of Christ on what I'm about to do in life or the direction I'm taking? That's what. That's what doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus really means. But doing all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus also gives us tremendous encouragement. It does. It doesn't frighten us. It shouldn't frighten you. It gives us tremendous encouragement to persevere faithfully for Christ in every aspect of life, no matter what you're doing. That's why it says, whatever you do. And you say, well, why? How, how does it give me encouragement? I'll tell you how. As Christ's representatives, we're not only ambassadors and uh, representatives of here, but we're also empowered, got that empowered to live and work and marry and raise children and minister in the church and evangelize and teach and disciple and to use our initiative, to use our imagination exactly the way that God has called you to do. We're empowered to do. So whether it's cleaning this church or whether it's buying your backyard or whether it's doing the dishes at home or whether it's working in your workplace, you are, due to, you are to do all to the glory of God and you are empowered to do it God's way. And with his stamp of approval upon him. Oh, I don't think there's any better credentials than that in the, in the book, right? All these life things for the believer, we're now empowered to do so that we can do it in the name of the Lord Jesus as well. Now I ask, what could be more encouraging? In summary, in summary here, to wrap this up, to live changed lives that God and Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has delivered unto us. 
There's only one response. Only one response. We do understand and value our new position in Christ. Absolutely. Secondly, having put off the rags of sin, put on the graces of Christ. These are all welded together as well. And thirdly, let us be those who are guided in life by our new overall priorities in Christ. Trust us to be encouragement and a challenge to you this morning.